the coffin merchant by richard middleton this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org the coffin merchant london on a november sunday inspired eustace reynolds with a melancholy too insistent to be ignored and too causeless to be enjoyed the grey sky overhead between the housetops the cold wind round every street corner the sad faces of the men and women on the pavements combined to create an atmosphere of ineloquent misery eustace was sensitive to impressions and in spite of a half-conscious effort to remain a dispassionate spectator of the world's melancholy he felt the chill of the aimless day creeping over his spirit why was there no sun no warmth no laughter on the earth what had become of all the children who keep laughter like a mask on the faces of disillusioned men the wind blew down southampton street and chilled eustace to a shiver that passed away in a shudder of disgust at the sombre colour of life a windy sunday in london before the lamps are lit tempts a man to believe in the nobility of work at the corner of charing cross telegraph office a man thrust a handbill under his eyes but he shook his head impatiently the blueness of the fingers that offered him the paper was alone sufficient to make him disinclined to remove his hands from his pockets even for an instant but the man would not be dismissed so lightly excuse me sir he said following him you have not looked to see what my bills are whatever they are i do not want them that's where you were wrong sir the man said earnestly you will never find life interesting if you do not lie in wait for the unexpected as a matter of fact i believe that my bill contains exactly what you want eustace looked at the man with quick curiosity his clothes were ragged and the visible parts of his flesh were blue with cold but his eyes were bright with intelligence and his speech was that of an educated man it seemed to eustace that he was being regarded with a keen expectancy as though his decision on the trivial point was of real importance i don't know what you are driving at he said but if it will give you any pleasure i will take one of your bills though if you argue with all your clients as you have with me it must take you a long time to get rid of them i only offer them to suitable persons the man said folding up one of the handbills while he spoke and i'm sure you will not regret taking it and he slipped the paper into eustace's hand and walked rapidly away eustace looked after him curiously for a moment and then opened the paper in his hand when his eyes comprehended its significance he gave a low whistle of astonishment you will soon be wanting a coffin it read at six o six gray's inn road your order will be attended to with civility and dispatch call and see us eustace swung round quickly to look for the man but he was out of sight the wind was growing colder and the lamps were beginning to shine out in the graying streets eustace crumpled the paper into his overcoat pocket and turned homewards how silly he said to himself in conscious amusement the sound of his footsteps on the pavement rang like an echo to his laugh 
Eustace was impressionable, but not temperamentally morbid, and he was troubled a little by the fact that the gruesomely bizarre handbill continued to recur to his mind. The thing was so manifestly absurd, he told himself with conviction, that it was not worth a second thought, but this did not prevent him from thinking of it again and again. What manner of undertaker could hope to obtain business by giving away foolish handbills in the street? Really, the whole thing had the air of a brainless practical joke, yet his intellectual fairness forced him to admit that as far as the man who had given him the bill was concerned, brainlessness was out of the question, and joking improbable. There had been depths in those little bright eyes which his glance had not been able to sound, and the man's manner in making him accept the handbill had given the whole transaction a kind of ludicrous significance you will soon be wanting a coffin eustace found himself turning the words over and over in his mind if he had had any near relations he might have construed the thing as an elaborate threat but he was practically alone in the world and it seemed to him that he was not likely to want a coffin for anyone but himself oh damn the thing he said impatiently as he opened the door of his flat it isn't worth worrying about I mustn't let the whim of some mad tradesman get on my nerves. I've got no one to bury, anyhow. Nevertheless, the thing lingered with him all the evening, and when his neighbor the doctor came in for a chat at ten o'clock, Eustace was glad to show him the strange handbill. The doctor, who had experienced the queer magics that are practiced to this day on the west coast of Africa, and who therefore had no nerves was delighted with so striking an example of british commercial enterprise though mind you he added gravely smoothing the rumpled paper on his knee this sort of thing might do a lot of harm if it fell into the hands of a nervous subject i should be inclined to punch the head of the ass who perpetrated it have you turned that address up in the post office directory Eustace shook his head and rose and fetched the fat red book which makes London an English city. Together they found the Gray's Inn Road and ran their eyes down to number 606. Harding, G.J. Coffin Merchant, an undertaker. Not much information there, muttered the doctor. Coffin Merchant's a bit unusual, isn't it? queried Eustace. I suppose he manufactures coffins wholesale for the trade. Still, I didn't know they call themselves that. Anyhow, it seems as though the handbill is a genuine piece of downright foolishness. The idiot ought to be stopped advertising in that way. I'll go and see him myself tomorrow, said Eustace, bluntly. Well, he's given you an invitation, said the doctor, so it's only polite of you to go. I'll drop in here in the evening to hear what he's like. I expect that you'll find him as mad as a hatter. Something like that, said Eustace, or he wouldn't give handbills to people like me. I have no one to bury except myself. No, said the doctor in the hall, I suppose you haven't. Don't let him measure you for a coffin, Reynolds. Eustace laughed. We never know, he said sententiously. Next day was one of those gorgeous blue days of which November gives but few and Eustace was glad to run out to Wimbledon for a game of golf, or rather two. It was therefore dusk before he made his way to the Gray's Inn Road in search of the unexpected. His attitude towards his errand, despite the doctor's laughter, 
and the prosaic entry in the directory was a little confused he could not help reflecting that after all the doctor had not seen the man with the little wise eyes nor could he forget that mr g j harting's description of himself as a coffin merchant to say the least of it approached the unusual yet he felt that it would be intolerable to chop the whole business without finding out what it all meant on the whole he would have preferred not to have discovered the riddle at all but having found it he could not rest without an answer number six o six gray's inn road was not like an ordinary undertaker's shop the window was heavily draped with black cloth but was otherwise unadorned there were no letters from grateful mourners no little model coffins no photographs of marble memorials even more surprising was the absence of any name over the shop door so that the uninformed stranger could not possibly tell what trade was carried on within or who was responsible for the management of the business this uncommercial modesty did not tend to remove eustace's doubts as to the sanity of mr j g harding but he opened the shop door which started a large bell swinging noisily and stepped over the threshold the shop was hardly more expressive inside than out a broad counter ran across it cutting it in two and in the partial gloom overhead a naked gas burner whistled a noisy song beyond this the shop contained no furniture whatever and no stock in trade except a few planks leaning against the wall in one corner there was a large inkstand on the counter eustace waited patiently for a minute or two and then as no one came he began stamping on the floor with his foot this proved efficacious for soon he heard the sound of footsteps ascending wooden stairs the door behind the counter opened and a man came into the shop he was dressed quite neatly now and his hands were no longer blue with cold but eustace knew at once that it was the man who had given him the handbill nevertheless he looked at eustace without a sign of recognition what can i do for you sir he asked pleasantly eustace laid the handbill down on the counter i want to know about this he said it strikes me as being in pretty bad taste and if a nervous person got hold of it it might be dangerous you think so sir yet our representative he lingered affectionately on the words our representative told you i believe that the handbill was only distributed to suitable cases that's where you are wrong said eustace sharply for I have no one to bury. Except yourself, said the coffin merchant, suavely. Eustace looked at him keenly. I don't see, he began, but the coffin merchant interrupted him. You must know, sir, he said, that this is no ordinary undertaker's business. We possess information that enables us to defy competition in our special class of trade. Information. Well, if you prefer it, we may say intuitions if our representative handed you that advertisement it was because he knew you would need it excuse me said eustace you appear to be sane but your words do not convey to me any reasonable significance you gave me that foolish advertisement yourself and now you say that you did so because you knew i would need it i ask you why the coffin merchant shrugged his shoulders ours is a sentimental trade he said 
i do not know why dead men want coffins but they do for my part i would wish to be cremated dead men uh, i was coming to that you see mr reynolds thank you my name is harding j g harding you see mr reynolds our intuitions are of a very special character and if we say that you will need a coffin it is probable that you will need one you mean to say that i precisely in twenty-four hours or less mr reynolds you will need our services the revelation of the coffin merchant's insanity came to eustace with a certain relief for the first time in the interview he had a sense of the dark empty shop and the whistling gas-jet over his head why it sounds like a threat mr harding he said gaily the coffin merchant looked at him oddly and produced a printed form from his pocket if you would fill this up he said eustace picked it up off the counter and laughed aloud it was an order for a hundred guinea funeral i don't know what your game is he said but this has gone on long enough perhaps it has mr reynolds said the coffin merchant and he leant over the counter and looked eustace straight in the face for a moment eustace was amused then he was suddenly afraid i think it's time i he began slowly and then he was silent his whole will intent on fighting the eyes of the coffin merchant the song of the gas-jet waned to a point in his ears and then rose steadily till it was like the beating of the world's heart the eyes of the coffin merchant grew larger and larger till they blended in one great circle of fire then eustace picked a pen off the counter and filled in the form thank you very much mr reynolds said the coffin merchant shaking hands with him politely i can promise you every civility and dispatch good day sir outside on the pavement eustace stood for a while trying to recall exactly what had happened there was a slight scratch on his hand and when he automatically touched it with his lips it made them burn the lit lamps in the gray's inn road seemed to him a little unsteady and the passers-by showed a disposition to blunder into him queer business he said to himself dimly i'd better have a cab he reached home in a dream it was nearly ten o'clock before the doctor remembered his promise and went upstairs to eustace's flat the outer door was half open so that he thought he was expected and he switched on the light in the little hall and shut the door behind him with the simplicity of habit but when he swung round the door he gave a cry of astonishment eustace was lying asleep in a chair before him and his face flushed and drooping on his shoulder and his breath hissing noisily through his parted lips the doctor looked at him quizzically if i did not know you my young friend he remarked i should say that you were as drunk as a lord and he went up to eustace and shook him by the shoulder but eustace did not wake queer the doctor muttered sniffing at eustace's lips he hasn't been drinking End of The Coffin Merchant by Richard Middleton